Good morning everyone, or welcome and whatever time you're watching this. My name is Esther, I'm part of Ebenezer Church and I also work for a charity called 61 that supports ex-offenders. And today I'm going to be speaking on justice. We're going to be reading from Psalm 146 and we're going to be thinking about God's justice. What that is, the relational and restorative nature of it. And we're then going to be thinking about what we can do as followers of Jesus. I'm really quite passionate about justice, in particular the criminal justice system, which is why I work for a charity that supports ex-offenders. And I do have quite strong views on it, but I'm going to do my best not to go on a rant about it. Um, I'll do my best, we'll see what happens. But before we delve into the passage, I want to read out a couple of quotes. The first one is from a film called The Midnight Express. I just wish you could be standing where I'm standing right now and feel what that feels like. Because then you would know something that you don't know, Mr. Prosecutor. Mercy. You would know that the concept of a society is based on the quality of that mercy, its sense of fair play, its sense of justice. And the second quote I'm going to read is from the TV series Cobra Kai. The world shows no mercy, so why should we? Some people have it good, but the rest of us, we have to fight for every inch of what's ours. Not just to score a point, for everything. Now I wonder how you feel hearing those quotes. Maybe you currently feel that an injustice has been done to you and you want justice. Perhaps you feel that you do have to fight for every inch of what's yours. I wonder if some of you see the injustice in the world and you want to do something to change it, but you're not sure where to start or what to do because it just seems so big. I believe that we have a God who is a God of justice. He hates wickedness. He's with us in any injustice that we may have experienced or are currently experiencing, and he is fighting for you. So let's now read from Psalm 146. This is in the Old Testament, and it's one of the last few Psalms in the book of Psalms. This is what it says. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, my soul. I will praise the Lord all my life. I will sing praise to my God as long as I live. Do not put your trust in princes, in human beings who cannot save. When their spirit departs, they return to the ground. On that very day, their plans come to nothing. Blessed are those whose help is the God of Jacob, whose hope is in the Lord their God. He is the maker of heaven and earth, the sea and everything in them. He remains faithful forever. He upholds the cause of the oppressed, and gives food to the hungry. The Lord sets prisoners free. The Lord gives sight to the blind. The Lord lifts up those who are bowed down. The Lord loves the righteous. The Lord watches over the foreigner and sustains the fatherless and the widow. But he frustrates the ways of the wicked. The Lord reigns forever. Your God, O Zion, for all generations. Praise the Lord. 
Now this psalm, it covers quite a lot really. It, you know, it's really speaking about justice, but it's also praising God for who he is. So my first point that I want to make today is that God is a God of justice. The theme of justice occurs throughout the whole Bible, starting in Genesis 3 and ending in the book of Revelation, which is the last book of the Bible. The word justice is written in the both Hebrew and Greek over 1,000 times. Like, that's a lot. And that really suggests that justice is at the very core of who God is. It's said that there are four biblical principles of justice found throughout the Bible. The first is that it's for the sake of life, like God cares about life. It's also part of the created order. Treating people equally is how God intended the world to be. Justice seeks to destroy evil. That wickedness is not supported by God. The passage even says that God frustrates the ways of the wicked. And the final point is that justice is concerned with the most vulnerable members of society. So what then is justice? I asked some friends for their thoughts because I um, find it really helpful to hear what other people have to say on certain things. And this is some of the things that they came back to me with. One said there's a legal sense versus the personal sense. Another said that in the movies, justice is all about revenge. Another said, getting what we want when we feel we have been wronged. Justice implies that one way is right and one way is wrong, which is rarely the case. It's all about perspective. Justice is fair and equal treatment. Justice for some is when someone from a privileged upper class group who has little to no appreciation for the normal lives of ordinary people dictates that certain things should be punished in certain ways and then proceeds to enforce this on all of the people. I wonder what you would say. The dictionary definition of justice says that justice is the morally fair and right state of everything. To have justice as a person's character trait means that they are just and treat everyone the same or how they would like to be treated. Imagine living in a society where justice was at the core of everyone's heart. How different things would look. Now the passage says that God cares about the oppressed. He gives food to the hungry, he sets prisoners free, he gives sight to the blind, he lifts up those who are bowed down, he watches over the foreigner, and he sustains the fatherless and the widow. God is a God of justice. He is inclusive. But it's not just this passage that highlights this. The book, um, so in Isaiah, Isaiah 61, the book of Ruth, uh, it says about this in Exodus, in Leviticus, in Deuteronomy, in Hebrews. I could go on. But in Exodus 22, verses 21 to 24, God, um, God's laws that he's given to Moses continue on from earlier on in Exodus. And they state that people should not mistreat or oppress a foreigner. And they should not take advantage of a widow or the fatherless. The consequence of doing so is death. Like, that's quite extreme, right? But I think this is showing us that God is serious about how we should treat people. 
That said, I don't think today that we're gonna physically die if we don't do this, so don't worry. But I do think that there is something life-giving about being with people who have had different life experiences. God is emphasizing that we too should care about others and love them in the same way that we love those we already know. We shouldn't let fear of the unknown stop us from loving and treating others in the same way. Now in the Bible, there are many stories of justice. So I'm just gonna name a few of them. The first one that comes to my mind is uh, about David. Now David was a shepherd boy. He was identified um, as to be a future king. And he became friends with the, king, the then king Saul. But Saul gets jealous of him because he sees how the people respond to David. Saul tries to kill him, more than once. But then David has the chance to kill Saul. His, his um, men were saying, go on David, you've got the chance, do it. But David said no. Instead he chose to forgive him. He chose to restore their relationship. He didn't treat Saul in the same way that Saul had treated him. Instead, he showed him love. David still became king, but in a righteous way. The interesting thing about David though, is that whilst he experienced a lot of injustice, he then was the cause of injustice. But God still loved him. The next example is of Joseph. Joseph's brothers sold him into slavery. But then he became steward to one of the official leaders in Egypt and he later became the governor of Egypt. And he was in charge of food rations when famine hit. He encountered his brothers who came to Egypt to get food. And Joseph recognised them even though he, they didn't recognise him. Joseph could have starved them. He could have denied them food. But instead he chose to forgive them and he helped them which led to restoration of their relationship. My final example is about the book of Ruth. Ruth was a widow and a foreigner in a land that she wasn't born in, didn't grow up in. And there was this man Boaz who commanded his workers to leave food on the edge of the harvest so that Ruth could collect it so she didn't go hungry. Boaz later married Ruth Remember, she was a foreigner. This was not the kind of thing that you did. But it seems that Boaz chose to see beyond her status. He chose to see her for who she was as a person, not where she'd come from or how others saw her. And there are so many more stories in the Bible of justice. I'd really encourage you to seek them out and read them. But the passage also says that God is the maker of heaven and earth, the sea and everything in them. He remains faithful forever. God is bigger than humanity. He will remain moral and upright forever. It's who he is. However, it may not always feel this way. There are stories in the Bible, in society, of people who don't seem to get justice before they die and who don't see a change in society or the way things are done. When we are the ones who feel an injustice has happened against us, who are the ones who are hungry or oppressed or who are being persecuted, 
It's not always easy to put our hope in God, to praise him or see him as being faithful. We may be tempted to put our hope into humans or earthly things, but the passage warns us not to put our trust in princes, in human beings who cannot save. Humans cannot offer lasting salvation. 2 Thessalonians 1 verse 6 says, God is just. He will pay back trouble to those who trouble you and give relief to you who are troubled and to us as well. This will happen when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven in blazing fire with his powerful angels. We may not all see justice happen in our lives, but God promises that he is just and justice will come. God is a God of justice. My second point is that God's justice is relational and restorative. So I mentioned about the four biblical principles of justice. The other two, two of them say that justice is how God intended the world to be and it's concerned with the most vulnerable of society. Justice is therefore relational. It's about God's relationship with humanity and creation and about the relationship between human beings and the earth. And the best example we have of this is how Jesus was with people who were deemed to be the lowest of social class, the outsiders, the nobodies. You may now wonder, why am I talking about Jesus? But my point is about God. Well, Jesus is God, but in human form. So therefore they have the same character traits. Jesus is also just. And, but God's justice being relational and restorative may now bring up all sorts of questions about the Old Testament and what we read happens to cities and people groups, not forgetting the Great Flood. This whole thing is a sermon in itself, and that would focus more on how God's wrath materialises. But the main thing that I believe, and you may disagree with me and that's okay, is that I don't believe this is God actively punishing people. Rather, it's God allowing people to experience the consequences of their choices. What we see in the Old Testament is that the result was a lot of deceit, death, hurt and destruction. The Bible shows us that God's love and compassion for us is bigger than his anger when we are unfaithful to him. You can read that in Hosea 11, 9, Genesis 9, 8 to 17 or Jeremiah 9, 24. When God sees an injustice, of course he gets angry. He's hurting because he sees and feels the pain the injustice causes. But instead of acting on this anger, he seeks to restore the injustice. Now, one of my favourite examples of this is in the New Testament, in Luke 19, verses 1 to 10. And it's about Jesus' interaction with Zacchaeus, the tax collector. At that time, tax collectors didn't receive a salary. So they collected as much money as they could and kept what was left after paying the Romans the agreed sum. A clear injustice against tax collectors or zero hours contract, one might say. Tax collectors were often social outcasts. No one likes money, people who take money, right? But it's also because they represented the oppression of the Roman government. 
Maybe some of us can relate to that today. But Zacchaeus may have also abused his position and taken more from people than necessary to better himself financially. I think injustice from the top has a habit of working its way down. However, whilst the community appear to have outcast Zacchaeus and see him solely as a tax collector, Jesus hasn't, as he doesn't allow an individual's social status to impact the relationship that he wants to have with them. Jesus focuses on building a relationship with Zacchaeus and starts by calling him by his name in an attempt to help restore Zacchaeus and show him a new identity, an identity as a child of God who is loved. We see that Zacchaeus then attempts to right his wrongs. He does this by giving half his wealth to the poor and pays back four times as much as he stole from others. By being seen and loved by Jesus, Zacchaeus accepts him as Lord, is reconciled to God and makes steps to be restored to the community. But right now we live in a society, and it's not just Britain, where punishment and persecution seems to be the initial approach and where inequalities exist everywhere. It can be really hard to see how justice exists. But I imagine that this was a similar feeling to people of Jesus' time too. When the sole focus is on punishment or persecution, we are simply creating a bigger gap of inequality. Yet when we focus on restoration and relationship, we begin to close that gap as we start to see people as Jesus does. This is not always easy to do, especially if someone has hurt us or others, and it's a process that can take years. But what I'm asking all of us to do is try and see people as Jesus does, rather than any differences that there might be. Jesus didn't focus on the differences. He simply saw people as they were. They weren't projects or problems to be solved, but lost children of God who need healing and restoration. And there's a wonderful story about this in a book called Gracias, which is written by Henry Nguyen, who was a Dutch Catholic priest. This book is about his time uh, in Bolivia and Peru, and he kept a diary. And there's one excerpt in there about him visiting a Peruvian prison, which has a hospital for men who are mentally unwell. And this is what he says. Although the place which houses 38 patients was extremely poor, Although the patients had nothing to keep them busy, although the justice system in Peru is, or maybe was, this was written a while ago, although the justice system in Peru is so bureaucratic and complex that these men may be there for years without any attention to their case, the atmosphere was very humane. Guards, doctors and patients treated each other amiably, talked freely and showed remarkable openness to each other. Somehow, the Peruvian friendliness and hospitality have taken some of the sharp edges of the suffering of these men. I think that's absolutely beautiful, and I think that it shows that whilst the system was incredibly unjust, those on the front line were loving those people in that place. 
When we look at how Jesus treated people, we see that he always sought restoration. He often went to them and met them in their environment. He didn't see them as their crime, their illness or their differences. He didn't reinforce their social status. Instead, he provided people with a community which understood both the grace and discipline of forgiveness. Jesus showed us that loving someone and showing them compassion doesn't mean condoning any wrongdoing that they've done. But he also showed us that just because of someone's situation doesn't necessarily mean that they've done any wrong themselves. Micah 6 verse 8 says, He has shown you, O mortal, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? To act justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. God's justice is relational and restorative. Jesus was tortured, persecuted, chased out of his hometown, abandoned by his friends and betrayed by many. He knew what injustice was. He could have sought revenge on all of those who hurt him, but he didn't. Instead, he chose to love them and forgive them. Jesus came into this world to show us that no one is better than another, no matter your race, your gender, your sexual orientation, your past, your marital status, your age, your social class. We are all to be treated the same, with love. So what can we do? God's priority is to secure justice for those on the margins. And as Jesus' followers, we are called to join in this work and be his hands and his feet. So some practical things that we could do is uh, get involved in advocacy. We could partner with God to restore social structures and empower the disadvantaged. Another thing is to not ignore or abandon our own privilege, but to steward it lovingly on behalf of others. This might look like listening and learning to find out where inequality exists on our front lines. It might mean signing petitions or calling people out in conversations when they say things that aren't just and actually being a voice for the voiceless in those situations. For some of you hearing that, you might think, whoa, that's way too much, I can't start there. That's fine. There are a number of organisations in Bristol alone who work for justice with different people groups. Perhaps you can financially support them or commit to praying for those groups mentioned in this passage, the oppressed, the hungry, the prisoners, the blind, refugees, the fatherless, the widow. Some of the organisations um, in Bristol and nationally are things like Open Doors, at 61, who I work for, Home for Good, BHN, that's Bristol Hospitality Network, who Rachel B spoke on a few weeks ago, so check out her sermon too. At 125, Beloved, In Hope, Food Bank, Age UK, Wessel, Brandon Trust, Sari, Nalari, Pause. There are loads and there are way more that I haven't even mentioned. So check them out and see how you can get involved. We have a God who is a God of justice. And his justice is relational and restorative.